Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. Gary, we got an exciting show, don't we? We do. It's been an exciting week, too. I mean, we uh, we had an election, so I hear. Yeah, we can't really, like, do this show. Like, uh, all of our guests aren't exactly involved in the president race or whatever. But, uh, you know, we can't exactly do the show without talking about the new president, right? We will. Yeah, and we, we will do that. I, I, I'm concerned for his mental health, but I do have a proposal. And that is that we get a, a GoFundMe campaign to get our current president, at least 90 days of gummies, preferably Indica, so that he can manage to do as well as he can over the next three months. Uh, that, there's a couple of problems with that, of course, because he lives on federal land and in D.C., as, as Chris knows, you are not allowed to imbibe on, on federal property. But the good news is he can't be fired. So if he is caught with, with possession, I think, I think he'll be okay and will be okay. And maybe he'll even use those next 90 days to do an executive order to finally get things moving in the right direction. But I doubt it. So let's just go ahead and get him some decent sedation. Wouldn't that be cool if he was just like, screw it, and just like got high and did nothing for the rest? And if he gets arrested for possession, he can always pardon himself before the end of the term. <laughs> it's a win-win. You know, if he got high... We might see a little balance in something. I'm just. <laughs> and, and we'll get into all the election results in the, uh, pretty soon. But we want to discuss about how important veterans are to the cannabis movement, to our country, and and what we can do to thank them for their service and how they continue to move this whole program forward. To that effect, we have two great guests. Yes. Okay. So apparently I should introduce him. Yeah, go ahead. So my dear, dear friend, wonderful, wonderful Amiga Kelly from We For Warriors Project. Right. What is your last name? It's like I went through like, uh, actually, I have it right here. Waller's Parrot. Uh, Waller's Parrot. Like the bird with an extra T. <laughs> that was well, a good time in the army. I'll tell you what. Ke Kelly here is the head of uh, the vice president of the We for Warriors project in Tampa. And uh, me and me and Kelly have a great relationship where, uh, you know, uh, my uh, store here at Chillum that we go live from. Um you know, she comes and bothers me and thinks she works here. <laughs> no, she holds true, meetings that are very important and she's able to outreach to the veterans community and they congregate here and they're able to help each other out and, you know, network and uh, discuss things that veterans have to deal with. And, you know, maybe Kelly can say just like two seconds about what's, what she does there. Um, as far as it goes with the project, so <clears throat> the Weed for Wars project is a national project, but we have chapters in states that are either legal, recreationally, or medically. Um, the goal is for us to advocate um, for veterans who use cannabis in lieu of the pharmaceuticals that the VA throws at us. 
Um, a lot of us came out of service with service-connected injuries, physically and mentally. And with this kind of handed pills, and here you go, have a good day. So we're advocating for being able to, to medicate naturally, um, to not be dependent on medications, to also reduce, uh, reduce the addiction rate, because addiction is a huge thing, um, especially in the military and then getting out. Um, and then also making sure that, that our vets are connected to the resources they need. The veteran suicide rate is 22 a day. They want to say it's 20. That doesn't make it any better. It just doesn't. That's one vet an hour on average killing themselves. Um, so we want to make sure that our vets have the resources, whether it's they need to get into the VA, back into the VA. They need new doctors. They need, you know, psychiatric care. They, they just, we just need that fellowship because I love you, Carlos, but I couldn't sit there and have a conversation with you about the things that I went through and you'd 100% understand and vice versa. And just checking in on each other because that's the biggest thing. Everybody asks, what does a veteran need? I need support. I need to be checked in on. Um, you know, pushing for, you know, cannabis is medically, you know, legal in Florida, but recreational. Um, just making sure that we have access to clean, safe medications. And it really just is living by the I've got your six, which in the military is just jargon for I've got your back. You know, I'm going to be there. Um, it's important enough to me that I have it tattooed on the inside of my arm so that other vet veterans can see it and know that this is a safe place because, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle. I've been out eight years and it still is a struggle. So making sure that nobody has to go through those struggles that we did coming out is, is kind of what we're here about. And just below, Kelly, we have uh, Keiston Franklin, who uh, is coming down here from Chicago. Are you part of the, one of the fighting Illini, as a matter of fact? No, I am not, actually. Uh, I went to Governor State University and uh, doing a master's at University of Chicago. So I yeah. went to Chicago for university. 9-11 happened, and then that changed my whole <laughs> trajectory. Uh, so after getting out of service, I went back. Uh, the school to finish up the, the master's program. But born and raised here in Florida, you know, so. Well, tell us about your military, military service, service and, and about, about the, uh, the, uh, the HALO group, the, uh, the holding yeah, group, group that you group currently, work, currently for. work for. Who yeah, makes yeah, that sure, up? Sure, sure. My time in service, Army, even though I'm wearing Air Force, you know, we love <laughs> all our branches. Uh, you know, over the years, you, you exchange shirts and patches and stuff like that. Uh, this just happened to be one of the closest things uh, at the laundry with the girls. I got two little girls. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I love my time in service. It was uh, first as a medic and then switched over to Intel. I uh, did some other work uh, after that. And, you know, I completely echo everything that Kelly said, especially during this time of uh, COVID. It's support. Uh, it's in inclusivity when it comes to veterans and even awareness and education on how this plant can be of benefit, not just to the veteran community, but uh, you know, to the population as a whole. Uh, as Gary said, you know, everyone can benefit, you know, from uh, the everyday worker, marginalized worker to the president of the United States. Um, so that was the approach that we took you know, with the uh, Halo Cannabis. And it started, you know, we started in Illinois, uh, as soon as the Farm Bill Act was passed, um, or farm bill was passed uh, into an act. We got into hemp. You know, my personal uh, story was, you know, I gotten out of service, you know, service connected disabilities. Uh, I was on lidocaine, hydrocortisone, hydro uh, uh, all sorts of uh, pharmaceutical stuff at the VA, and actually, you know, active uh, hospital, active army hospital, 
gave to it. it and my quality of life sucked you know like i said i had two little girls i uh, could barely it was like a zombie and i needed some a better approach and it was one of the uh older veteran mentors who said hey dude you know this plant this plant will make you balance and they'll cure you all right and i was like what he's like well i can't say that he goes but you'll feel much better and then that <laughs> started me on cbd and then on cannabis and then you know i started to explore this uh, and, and this was about 2015, 2016. I'm recently out. Um, and as I explored it, you know, it, I found that there are a lot of benefits uh, mentally and physically for this plant, but there's a lot of opportunity on the employment side. And there's so much uh, research and innovation that can be had as well as uh, businesses that can be erected uh, by exercising uh, this plant and then and getting engaged with it. So we started uh, the group to uh, one educate veterans in cannabis, uh, and then two provide opportunities so they can be employed in cannabis. And then, uh, as we were in there, we we're like, "Oh, there's some resources that that needs to be uh, addressed, and uh, some legislation that needs to be changed." Um, it, because even if a veteran's in a in a cannabis friendly state, uh, and then they're working in that area, they cannot get uh, banking in some places. They can't get mortgages in some places. So there's a whole slew of things. But uh, Halo Cannabis, we're a community forward uh, organization and uh, we're engaged in cannabis, everything from retail, uh, cultivation, and then also delivery. Um, but we're completely for veteran empowerment and community growth and development. And I understand that, you, that you're, you're working uh, possibly, uh, possibly uh, on a licensing situation, situation in Florida. I know you can't talk can't much talk about, it, about it, but it's good but to know that these things, things are, are open and available for, for uh, veterans, uh, veterans because, because here in Florida, Florida we're supposed to have some kind of a competitive process to get a license. It appears that that is not going to appear for so many people. And it's right. good to see that like yours is, is, is engaged in trying to change that. that. And adding, and adding a, a crucial step that hasn't been done here in Florida, although people talk to talk, 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 they don't actually they don't walk actually the walk. And that has to do with social equity. Tell me what social equity means to you and to your group and what you think could happen here in Florida or what may have already happened in Chicago, in Illinois. Well, yeah, no, I can speak Florida and Chicago. Social equity to me, it's is that. You know, they, everyone has a lot of uh, different ideas. Equity is not equality, stuff like that. Social equity is, you know, being able to engage uh, your community and those folks that were affected by the war on drugs, um, being able to engage in the cannabis industry. You know, for so for too long, you know, marijuana, as it's called, it was a, a bad thing. You know, it's not cannabis. And then when it switched over to cannabis, and those individuals who were in, you know, arrested and incarcerated and prohibited from jobs and even college education because they had a drug charge, are they weren't able to uh, benefit from uh, this plant, whereas other individuals were able to make millions and now billions of dollars. Uh, so that social equity component is giving opportunity uh, for those folks who have been marginalized, those communities that have been, you know, raped and pillaged, I guess, if you will. Uh, because of this uh, drug or stigma, a, a chance to get into this industry. And the, the problem that we've had in, in Illinois, uh, and I can speak to 15, about 2015, is the, the barrier of entry into cannabis industry is so high uh, that it, you know, 
almost restricts and eliminates half of the folks uh, who would be social equity uh, you know, eligible from either getting into the business or being able to sustain themselves in there. And, you know, I've seen similar, uh, you know, I'm new to the Florida cannabis market, uh, but it seems to be this a similar scenario, uh, even with the licenses that came out, you know, in, in Illinois, they have a social equity program. Uh, and only two organizations out of the 75 licenses are social equity. Well, well, forgive me. Uh, so they're labeled as social equity, but there's a loophole, you know, where the ownership is not all social equity, but the employees may fall under that qualifying uh, factor. And, you know, that's some of the things that uh, we'd love to address uh, when they're rolling out some of the social equity uh, legislation in some of these other states, you know, five other states that came out, you know, don't allow just individuals to employ individual or social equity um, uh, individuals in the business, give an opportunity to own, you know, and in Florida, I don't believe, uh, and Gary and Kelly, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I don't think there's a social equity license operating. There, 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 is, not. there is not. So Florida, so Florida is, is um, um, <laughs> for me, for it, me is a it is joke. a joke. That, that to even work in a dispensary, you can't have cannabis charges. Ah. You have to pass a drug test and not have cannabis in your system. But then these MMTCs will help their employees or bud tenders or whatever they want to call them get their medical cannabis license or require them to have it beforehand. Also, for me, I'm looking at, I don't know if you guys are the current situation of cookies coming into Florida. So cookies to me, I great. I'm sure a lot of people love their products. Cookies Gold to me burner. Is, yeah. is what I call, it, it's flashy, it's packaging to the point where people will get, you know, fake packaging, things like that. And for me to see that people are getting so excited that cookies is coming here and there's it, it's a catch 22 there's a it's going to be the first minority who's holding an mmtc license great but look at who it is he's coming from another state and we have minority veterans who have groups like yours that have the holdings to come together and buy a license we have other minorities in this state but they can't even get the license because the rate of charging incarcerating minorities for non-violent cannabis charges so you're telling me we want you to work in the cannabis industry, but you can't have anything cannabis related. So what you're telling me is you just, you, you, you want to whitewash this still, still. If I go into a dispensary and I have to talk to somebody and I honestly, for me, I choose to use dispensaries where I know there's more minorities that I know that there's, you know, as much social equity as possible, but it is such a larger picture. There's nothing in Florida that guarantees it. And Kano can let you know, we've had to sue the state and back and forth legislation for them to even get rid of this cartel that we have. And even that is not going that quickly. Um, it's, it's a pay to play. Somebody can buy a license and sit on it and sit on it and sit on it and sit on it. And meanwhile, we've got, we've got veterans, we've got minority veterans who really want to get into this to heal themselves and to heal other veterans. And it's making it impossible. It's even if you came in with all of the money and it's, oh, well, you had a cannabis charge, such and such. What So that should bar me from having a cannabis business. If anything, that just shows I'm more knowledgeable about the cannabis. And, you know, these are just, excuse my language, shitty laws. It just is what it is. The laws set up to prey 
on on minorities to 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 prey on those that don't have equity. So Florida is just mm, I just we're just leaving it at that. But there's nothing in place. Well, Even I know if there is, there is. It's gonna, it's kind of gonna be like you know what's going on in Chicago, where they're gonna have the loopholes and they're gonna cherry pick. Um, you know, and for me, I look at it because they know the more people that they're letting in and the more minorities they're letting in, then they don't get to sit here and get the money in from incarceration, from pharmaceuticals. And it's always about the money. Always. Yeah, especially when you got the Geo Group over here in Florida, who uh, has a major hold on the legislation. And of course, they are the, the private print as many customers as possible. So they, 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 they push that. And then, of course, there's also the treatment center folks who also have a, a fair stay in making certain that as many people either get incarcerated or get forced to be put into a program which they really don't need. And that, that, that is basically where we stand. Now, uh, Keystone, tell me, in Chicago or in Illinois, not in the city of Chicago because of what Mayor Whitehouse is doing, uh, the state or is pretty much even? Uh, I you know, they're pockets. You know, Chicago, there's a heavy presence in social equity just because of the uh, influx of individuals. You have probably three million people, you know, in the city. Um, but there are pockets in Illinois uh, where there is, there's a lot of social equity uh, applicants who apply. We had over uh, 4,500 applications in Illinois. And then, you know, I think it was like six uh, what was it, like 80% of them was all social equity. So it's- What was that? What is the, what, what what is is the, the cost of the application cost? itself? The application itself is $5,000, but for social equity, they you know discounted it 50% and same thing with the license. Uh, so it was 2,500 per application uh, uh, that was able to be submitted. And then the licensing fee is 60,000. Uh, so third for thirty thousand for social equity applicants. So, and of course, here in Florida, the application fee is a sixty thousand, slightly, slightly higher. Higher, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well there's there like two licenses that were sold at like night ninety something ridiculous, like ninety five million. Like what was that? Well, actually, uh, Cynthia Group bought um, three boys, three boys for one hundred and twenty five million. That was the highest one. Million for one license. Well, when you're getting well, into you're a closed gonna... market, you know. It made folks like Adam Behrman just drool their way into Florida and uh, didn't expect as to how much of a kind of pushback they had. But uh, and of course, here in Florida, you also have to have a, a post a five million dollar bond with your financials. Not most people have that in their back pocket. And they didn't promise, believe it or not, one minority license that would be given to the, the Black Farmers Association agriculturists. That, however, is still is in litigation after three years, in part because there's a Native American group that believes that they should also have a minority license. But the question is, why should there only be one minority license in a state? That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. With all due respect, that is not social equity. That is, and I'm going to use the dirty word here, tokenism. Mm -hmm. I agree. I and, agree. And, in a lot of aspects, Florida is, is the laughing stock of, uh, in, a, in a number of levels. I think that we can do better. And I think that if we do have somebody who does acquire a license, of which there are several to be acquired right now, that does have minority status and that does work with veterans, that will be the way to go because I don't see it happening through legislation at this point in time. Although we want to try. And that's what we're hoping to see. Because, so, you know, Gary, even with that, 
even with that, even if somebody came in and said, you know, my, you know, I'm applying for this license, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for vets. As much as we want to say we love our vets, it's not true. It's simply not true. I have stood in front of the, the state Senate and they have looked me in my face and said, thank you for your service. But no, then you don't get to thank me for anything. And like you said, it's, it's, you know, it is tokenism. It's like, look, we did this for this person, but it's, it, it's people are buying up the licenses, sitting on them here and selling it to the highest bidder. I will go online and look to see who holds a license and who has, you know, dispensaries operating under these licenses. And there are names I don't even recognize and they have no dispensaries, but they've been sitting on this license since they could buy it. And then it's just, sell it to the highest bidder like you know it's a cookies and i'm sure i'm going to get backlash people who love cookies that's great love cookies go there whatever i don't care the point is we're yelling and screaming and praising oh we have a minority coming into florida but we have minorities who live in florida who should get these licenses and who should have the opportunity and understand like you said that we don't all have five million dollars sitting in our back pocket and even if we collectively came together that's not something that's going to happen overnight so you could yell and scream that, oh, we've got a minority coming in. Like you said, there's litigation going on back and forth. But you have you have people still coming in from other states. Everybody's like, oh, but you didn't want, you know, the, the cartel going on. You wanted other states to come in. Right. But you're not looking at, you know, it's, it's kind of like with the analogy, everything starts at home first. So look inside your own home and see who needs that opportunity. Now, in, in regards to social equity, I would rather Tano if he lived here. It just is. It's it's a everything looks good for PR for us, but then when people actually start taking action, then it's a step back and it's oh wait a minute, we didn't know you were really going to act on this. So now let's put you through the runaround of court of denying of let's make it more expensive. You said an application fee is somebody's salary or two people's salary if they're just at a living wage. So you want somebody to take two people's salary for a year just to apply and it's not guaranteed. Like, well, the also situation of the, the higher the, higher cost, the cost of getting in, the more money you have to raise. And the question is, where is that money coming from? Is And I'm not going to uh, you know, put too much aspersions on Cureleaf, but is it coming from the, the Western part of uh, the Soviet Union? <laughs> is, 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 or is the money coming from a, a, a laundered criminal enterprise? Or is this finally going to be a clean industry eventually? If we can get people who are not only just interested in opening businesses, but actually helping the community in which they are a part of more than just bringing in tax money. I mean, it's, it's nice that there are states that are taxed a hell out of cannabis so that when, when the dispensaries pay the states, they get money to, to put, to put roads and things of that sort. But there's a lot of things that can be done for the community more than just tax people who are trying to buy their medicine at a much higher well, rate. Let's look at, let's look at Oregon for an example. You know, Oregon recently passed not making certain hard drugs or criminal offense anymore. But people don't look at, I, I've heard people go back and forth and talk about, oh, that's so horrible. And I'm like, first off, you don't understand how addiction works in this whole entire program. They also don't know that the taxes from cannabis are helping pay for this program. To me, that's a great thing. We are transitioning. We're using cannabis. People are using cannabis to heal, but we still know those people that have addiction issues, especially with things like cocaine, heroin, things like that. So why not take something, a natural plant that 
oh, great, they're going to tax the hell out of it. But at least we're using, I would be okay and comfortable if I knew, okay, I had a higher tax on something, but it's legitimately helping people recover and then they're going to move towards this plant. They're going to live better lives. And yeah, where does the money come from? I think a lot of these companies and a lot of these politicians who back forget that we can easily search who's lining their pockets and who they're contributing to. And it just is like, you know, you don't get to say, we care about veterans, we care about patients, we wanna, you know, reduce the, you know, the opioid crisis. But then you make it so hard for somebody to even do that. And it's just continued and continued and continued. It just is like, you know, you, you don't get to be on paper or next to me and take a picture and like, look, here it is. I love my vets. And then when I say, this is what we need, this is what the, you know, when minority vets come out and say, this is what we need. And it's just like, well, mm, you looked good for my picture, but I don't want to back anything else. What so, do you see, what do you see the, the cannabis industry doing social, doing social equity for the community in which they, 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 they are a part? What are they doing for it? You know, I echo everything that Kelly said. Right. Well, you know, the first thing is reducing that cost to get in uh, there and then support some of the the build out of some of the businesses through programming. Um, you know, Illinois, you know, I'll speak to that first. Um, they started off. It was a five hundred thousand dollar, you know, application or sorry, hundred thousand dollar application fee. Back in 2014, 2015, the group I was with then, uh, when we were looking at, you know, going into Illinois and the medical side, uh, because of, we knew the benefits for veterans, we were like, ah, you know, I don't know, is it really worth it? Uh, they reduced that, you know, granted it took them about five years to come down, but that $2,500 or, uh, or $5,000 application fee, and that's pretty much standard around the country, it, it makes it obtainable to even get into, you know, the uh, into the game, you know, to even build down, uh, you know, some of the, most of the states, they're 5,000, 10,000, you got Arkansas, 20,000, still a couple of places, 120,000, uh, Florida being one of the highest at 70,000. Uh, but that's the first step, uh, having programs and then licenses specifically for social equity applicants. Uh, I know in Massachusetts right now, they have a delivery service for social equity applicants that's only eligible for social equity. Um, uh, and then, you know, and if we're looking at Florida, uh, you've got vertical integration here and they don't foresee any type of uh, recreational use. And then the scary part is, uh, you know, with the new president and you do schedule this drug, you're going to have a whole bunch of large, big farm, big money corporations coming in who are going to be able to buy those licenses. Yep. And that's going to push out the opportunity for veterans and social equity applicants. And so, start, you know, Florida, I, honestly, I would look, I'd love to see micro business support uh, for, you know, veteran owned businesses and the minority owned businesses to help support some of these vertical licenses uh, until they uh, go recreational or, or, you know, I don't know if they're going to carve out, you know, uh, separate from retail to cultivation and break up that vertical license. I know there was some talk about that, but there's definitely got to be some support, one on the application aspect for social equity applicants on the operations uh, support, you know, funding that comes out of the, the, the taxation from these operating businesses uh, to going into supporting communities and business development and training and research uh, for social equity and veterans. 
Uh, and then the last thing is just a simple awareness. You know, as Kelly spoke about, it's control. They're saying like, yeah, we want to do something for you, but they aren't doing shit. <laughs> it's like you got to you really got to do it. You know, and it's not just uh, one one uh, one person, you know, one token, one poster child. It's got to be inclusive. You know, veteran uh, population in Florida, uh, they want it. You know, the veteran population across the country wants it. I just saw an article. Was it that Tampa VA is going to be testing vaccines on veterans? You know, you can tell me you're going to volunteer. Yeah, you're going to volunteer, you know, veterans. Hey, we're going to test this on you, but you're going to give them the opportunity to make money and actually uh, be in an industry that helps their physical and mental well-being. Uh, it, to me, it seems a little bit, uh, you know, backward. But back to the social equity uh, component. You know, there are going to be a lot of programs that roll out with these new states. Uh, I'm a little fearful uh, of, you know, descheduling of this drug without some of those social equity issues <laughs> being worked out. Uh, if they aren't worked out, then it's, you know, I think we might as well kiss, you know, the whole social equity goodbye because we're going to see more of that tokenism. <laughs> uh, and, and it's just not going to be you know, beneficial to the veteran community. Uh, mar uh, minority community, you know, and marginalized workers. So well, one of the actual, the actual good things about Florida's uh, legislative process and, and their uh, the financial process is that uh, veterans uh, veterans are considered a minority business. Uh, uh, veterans can con contract with MMTCs for micro businesses and things of that sort and get some kind of and be able to inch into that, not making it necessarily fully uh, vertical, but to have kind of a, a branch from the vertical so that they can contract with these MMTCs. Would that help? I think we lost your, your audio. Oh, it looks like. Well, here, I, I mean, I'll comment on that. I mean, all in all, what we see right now is. There you go. The, the main thing with what we're seeing with legislation is that the legislation that you get is often reflective of the makeup of the body passing the laws. Yes. We have a vertically integrated system that is treating minorities and veterans as tokens. It is because those in power think it's okay to treat minorities and veterans. And to Kelly's point, when you get up there in the Florida legislature and you're sitting before, you know, and, and if we want to get partisan, let's get partisan. If you're sitting up before the Florida Republican led legislature and they tell the veteran, thank you for your service. But then they tell that same veteran, no, you can't have access to life saving medicine. No, you can't have access to home grow. No, you can't go out and get you a job uh, and, and, and not be precluded from that job because you utilize this medicine. All these things are reflective of the current leadership and why we need a real change and why elections matter. And that's going to be part of, you know, what we roll into the second part of the show and talking about these elections. But, you know, in, in the long and short of it, you know, Keystone, you're up there in Illinois, which has a different makeup, a different legislature, but somehow they wound up with the same result of creating a vertically integrated System. So, you know, uh, to Kelly's point about both parties being the same, sometimes it, uh, that, that definitely doesn't look good. So tell us a little bit more about wh how did Illinois arrive at its current system, which obviously has some shortcomings. Right, right, right. So, uh, Gary, I missed my uh, computer froze or phone froze a little bit. Uh, so I missed that last part. Um, 
But yeah, I'm actually yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks. Uh, I'm actually in Florida, so we're erecting uh, hemp, and then I'm also closing this deal uh, here in Florida for cannabis. But how our Illinois Rose, uh, you know, arrived at this uh, social equity component? It was simply because people were saying, "Hey, this is not right." Uh, we have millions of folks in Chicago alone incarcerated uh, because of this war on drugs, you know, and this, you know, we have companies that are making millions of dollars a month, tens of millions of dollars a month. And then they aren't even giving back to the community where there are addictions, where oh, there are oh. mental health resources that are needed. We had a food desert and that none of those, um, uh, None of those neighborhoods received any support from this highly taxed, uh, you know, industry. And so we, we, a lot of folks uh, and a nonprofit that I worked with and then Southern, a uh, couple other committee of folks, we pushed. We was like, hey, this got to change. Uh, and then also it's got to change for, you know, veteran support because there's a lot. And that was kind of the way we pushed through legislation. So is it, saying if you guys want to help veterans, this is really how you're going to do it. You know, we can say you guys are helpful for veterans or we can say you really don't care. And it's all just a ploy. Uh, and that's almost what got us, you know, literally what got us to the table uh, to say, you know, one, you got to include veterans in some of these applications. You got to give some sort of not necessarily preference, uh, but you got to give some opportunities along with social equity. There's a huge fight actually going on in Illinois about veteran uh, preference and then even points in how they're grading some of the applications, which is crazy. You know, um, there's about five lawsuits uh, in, in Illinois challenging uh, how this last uh, dispensary round was, was graded. And most of it is, you know, uh, technical in the fact that the, there was inconsistencies in the, in the grading uh, of the application, but the, the, the legislation was actually uh, the cause of the issue, you know, as uh, it was spoken earlier, the legislation was written by folks who's like, oh, yeah, you know, we can make this uh, legal. We can make a lot of money and we can make it so only a few select individuals make a lot of money. So let's write that in. And then after the wolves came at the door and we knocked and they're like, OK, we'll let you in. Uh, but it was a snafu and it was a, a, a dream that was sold. Um, that is still not being, uh, you know, cashed. Like you can't cash the check now because no one has really a license because of this legislation. And I believe so you I also had a legislator who actually uh, invested in the uh, in the industry when the, she was recruited from doing so. so. Oh, yeah. well, you yeah. know, it's Illinois, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I moved up to Illinois from Florida, and one of the guys said this to me when I first moved up in 2000. And he's like, it's Illinois. Well, he's like, it's where our governors make our license plates. Um, but, you know, <laughs> corruption is it's a place where if you're close to those who make the rules, you're going to benefit from it. And that's you'll see that in Illinois and Chicago's history for the past half a century, if not the last century. But that yeah. should change. And that was one of the things. And I think Kelly mentioned it. Uh, intent as well, getting folks in you know, legislation as representatives to write these bills who are keen and are uh, empathetic to minorities and then to veterans uh, by getting them into this space, a seat at the table to voice and not only voice, 
but actually put pen to paper and then vote on some of these changes is the only way it's going to happen. Um, you know, if we keep allowing the same folks to, to represent uh, the majority and they're not, uh, it's still going to continue down the same road of benefiting that select few. And minorities and veterans are going to be left out, which is, uh, to me, disheartening and it's outright wrong. Well, I know we got we got to move on to the to the election situation. I, I, I appreciate Kelly and, and Keiston coming in today and, and telling us what's going on. Folks, watch Halo Cannabis closely. You're going to see some explosive things here in Florida. I can't tell you what it is yet, but if you watch, you'll find out. <laughs> Keith, I want I want to thank you for coming in. I want to thank you for your service, of course. And, and for everybody in your group who, who also served their country, Kelly, we always love you guys. Now, if you want to hang on and with us if, while we're talking about the election, you can. But we do have to, to cover the other topic. But we, you guys are great. We, we greatly appreciate it. And Keeson, by the way, is also a member of the NCAA, another great company that is not a spokesman. Of the, of the National Cannabis Industry Association, but you work within the, within the banking committee. So you, you, you're going to bring a certain amount of expertise in regards to that banking thing to Florida, which I think we so desperately need as well. And we are looking forward to seeing it. No, absolutely. Yeah, some of the Banking and Financial Services uh, Committee, and they're looking at uh, solutions, you know, um, one for the inclusivity of, of the minorities and veterans, but also in some of the resource and support and banking and financing is you know from the top down from the owners uh being able to process transactions uh, to customers who are able to utilize some of the uh, traditional banking uh, solutions and resources that they've been barred from uh, because cannabis is no longer federally well it's federally illegal um <laughs> and, and then being able to <laughs> provide some sort of support uh and protection statewide in that space is, you know, the, the push and the mandate of Banking Financial Services Committee. Uh, not speaking for them, but that's just some of the things that we're, we're, we're uh, looking at. I know you're not Marine, but because uh, uh, Chris is, I have to, uh, I'm obligated to say simplify. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, you know uh, I don't know what to say to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I was like, what? <laughs> Somebody yeah. has to hit the beat. That's, that's the way it is. I'll just, you know, I'll that's just that's say things. Jarhead or otherwise. Well, Keaton, I appreciate I that. A key point uh, through all of this is it doesn't matter what party is passing the laws in your state. The problem is not partisan. It's about corruption. And as long as there are uh, you know, powers that be with large amounts of money influencing these legislators, they're going to continue to design cannabis uh, industry systems which preclude the average person from getting in, which precludes veterans, which precludes minority business owners. And the fact of the matter is the vast majority of enlisted folks never retire as millionaires. And even a, a lot of officers don't even get the opportunity to, to, to get beyond the working class in some cases. And so it, it is definitely a, a point to set, show that uh, you know, in this industry, um, there needs to be some real changes in the people who are making the laws. If we're going to see an industry that's properly regulated and and allow you know folks to to get into it to to remove those barriers to entry that we currently see across the nation. Yeah, bars and stars bars don't stars necessarily make necessarily you uh, a better man, but definitely makes you richer when it comes to the military. No, I agree. I agree. But it's folks like you guys, you know, and I appreciate. It. I must say this: thank you for all that you're doing and and. The, and increasing awareness and then also going out and pushing change and legislation, even giving 
folks like me uh, the opportunity to come out and speak on some of our experiences and supporting uh, some of the initiatives that we want to you know, see in place and push. So thank you for that. Thank you. All right. And when in Illinois, go to the, the doobie room. Don't ask me why. <laughs> so okay. it's just the three of us now. It's just the three of us. I think we're alone now. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> oh, well, it's just the two of us. We have, ah. we have just been through a horrendous election. It was full of divisiveness. It was full of yeah. wailing and gnashing of teeth. It was an election of biblical proportions, uh, both in the turnout and in the, uh, the, the damage that was done during the election, and now it's time to heal. Uh, now, just again, for these, you guys who are heavily into, into conspiracy theories, and you know who you are because they know who you are. Uh, <laughs> but just so you know, in, in 2016, uh, you may remember on election night, uh, they had declared by projection, AP and other organizations, that uh, Trump was the winner. Uh, Hillary did concede and President Trump at that point in time did accept that concession and assumed the fact that he was the president-elect on election night, approximately two weeks at least before all the certification of the states. So then anybody goes ahead and tells you that we never uh, claim victory uh, based on projections that come from the AP and from these other organizations who get their information basically from the super supervisors of elections from all the various states. Uh, you're you're wrong with all due respect and all these conspiracy theories you hear take them with a grain of salt go back and and and, and notice what has happened in history and you'll see exactly where we where we stand right now we look forward to a, a good transition i know that uh, a lot of people were were upset uh, of course a lot of it was his conspiracy and but in regards to our new uh, vice president that she incarcerated a rather large amount of people in in uh, california and so therefore is not necessarily on our side. But just so you know, Kamala Harris is a sponsor of the MORE Act, which will uh, significantly change the cannabis industry. And the fact that when she was in Florida as Attorney General, it was her job to uphold the California law. And if you broke the California law, she was obligated to make certain that, that arrests were made. Now, California is not uh, immune to making mistakes Californians do. Like they made mistakes in that back in 1996 when they started opening up uh, Dr. Feelgood things in the beaches where you could get a, a license for $40 and automatically get, to, get your cannabis. But they evolved. Uh, they've corrected a lot of things in, that, in the meantime. But there are still people who are uh, operating illegally in California. And when you operate illegally, uh, the Attorney General is obligated at that point in time to... Uh, to do what she has to do, but I don't see that as her her, her role in the, the the executive branch, and I think that we will see some some relaxing in regards to those kind of things, and possibly if we can get the Senate at least evened out, which is a possibility, we may have a better chance of of getting more cannabis related uh, laws federally. Uh, what's your opinion on that, Chris? Well, you know what we're looking at right now is the control of the United States Senate is still up in the air. And so in the grand scheme of things, uh, looking at where cannabis laws go currently right now, uh, Mitch McConnell, the uh, Senate majority leader uh, of the Republicans in the U.S. Senate, has refused to hear any legislation coming out of the Democratic controlled House, everything from COVID relief uh, to a, a wide variety of, of other pieces of legislation. And so that deadlock, that gridlock in, in Congress right now is has created a real problem. 
uh, for folks. And so moving forward, uh, right now the Democrats have essentially, uh, you know, 46 uh, Senate seats. The uh, Angus King from Maine and Bernie Sanders from Vermont, both independents, caucus with the Democrats. Uh, so that means that these two Senate seats in Georgia, which are headed to a runoff on January 5th, will essentially determine if the Democrats are able to match the Republicans 50 seats. Now, in the for those of you who might not be up to date on eighth grade uh, American government and civics, uh, when there is a tie with the U.S. Senate, the vice president yeah. breaks the tie. Carlos slept through that. He was in theology class. <laughs> so so uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, who is the sponsor of the MORE Act, uh, would be the deciding vote on the MORE Act in the Senate. And so that is a key thing in, in turning all eyes to Georgia now in the United States. Should Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff uh, be successful in overtaking the Republican incumbents in the state of Georgia in the United States Senate race, then we can see the House passing the MORE Act. We can see it going on to the Senate. We can see the actual bill sponsor in the Senate, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, vice president, being the deciding vote on that and sending it to uh, President-elect Biden's desk. So what, what do we know of, of uh, Raphael Warnock, who's the pastor of the Ebenezer Church, and uh, John Ossoff, who's running against uh, Mr. P uh, Senator Perdue, who has been very uh, pro prohibitionist in the past? Yeah, that's exactly what we know. They are not prohibitionists by any means. Uh, uh, Reverend Warnock has seen the the impacts of, in his community across the state of Georgia of what the war on drugs has done, everything from the racial profiling, the violation of, of people's civil rights and, and constitutional rights uh, to the disparate impacts on the various communities uh, throughout the state of Georgia. I mean, you know, uh, I-95 itself is patrolled as, as a major drug highway in America. So, you know, if you're just taking a, a road trip, you're, you happen to be on the same road where they're looking for drug traffickers and they treat you know every single person whose car you know might smell of a joint uh, uh, as such and th that in itself is why a state like oregon took the step to actually decriminalize uh you know various drug charges uh, altogether because uh, the fact of the matter is is that there has been no single assault on civil liberties more than the war on drugs. It is what has caused militarization of the police over the past several decades. It is what's caused this this era of, oh, I can just check you because you know, you're know you a criminal because your car smells a certain way. And we've seen time and time again, the Supreme Court coming back and saying that, you know, smell is just not enough. And, but at the same time, you can, you know, shut up, you can follow the script, you can, you know, uh, assert your civil rights and you can still be brutalized uh, by the police. And so in the grand scheme of things, uh, change is coming at the federal level on the horizon. The biggest thing now that we have to ask every single person to do is to contact your member of Congress and ask them for a floor vote, okay, to the MORE Act. The MORE Act passed the Judiciary Committee in the House last November. It's been almost a year since it passed through the committee, which can then send it to the floor. And the uh, House uh, Majority Leader Steiny Hoyer, uh, has said that he would schedule it for a floor vote after the elections. It originally was scheduled for a floor vote in September, but because of COVID relief talks, it was put off. Obviously, we saw how those COVID relief talks went. So the, the most important thing now is to schedule it for a vote, uh, get the first decriminalization bill, you know, uh, voted upon in American history for cannabis. I mean, all in all, what we're looking at right now is that the MORE Act would completely remove cannabis off the Control Substances Act and exactly where it should be. I know a lot of folks here 
uh, you know, uh, who are even in the chat have been talking about, they want to see, you know, the ability to grow it at home. They want to see the ability uh, to, to treat it no differently than their tomatoes and as an agricultural product. Many people who uh, want to be in the cannabis industry, if you will, don't even have a desire to open up storefronts. They rather grow their own, uh, even have boutique style strains that they could then maybe possibly sell to a dispensary. Maybe just have it for, for themselves and among their family and friends. But point being is that as long as cannabis remains a schedule one drug federally, we're going to continue to see so many problems across the nation. Uh, point in case, an example, in Marion County, they recently fired a dean from a local high school for being a medical marijuana patient, for doing everything legally correct by the book and still lost his position. And that is why, you know, the Suncoast Normal, Gary has been instrumental in, in working with our board and, and other legislators in, in, in trying to get an employee protection bill passed for medical marijuana patients. And now that this election uh, is over and, 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 and in the books here in Florida, it is time to now pivot to the upcoming legislative session and looking federally now that things are wrapped up, all eyes are now on Georgia because the control of the U.S. Senate will determine the future of cannabis's schedule one status in the coming years. Now, what is interesting about cannabis, both nationally and federally, is that the uh, the people who are enthusiastic about cannabis are not necessarily totally sequestered into one party. I'll give you a good example. The Colorado race this last year, this, this last election, where we lost Cory Gardner, who was actually a major proponent of cannabis. Uh, in fact, he tried to get uh, Trump to admit that he would be interested in legalizing it. And he said, well, I'll think about it. But at least he got to make certain that the, that the states were left alone uh, by using the amendment that Rohrbach originally had put in, which we lost, who we lost on the last election. And in substitute, we now have John Hickenlooper, the former governor of Colorado, who, although Colorado was one of the first states that went that went legal, both medically and uh, with adult use, was not exactly instrumental in that particular effort. In fact, in a lot of cases, he was pushed back in part because he was part of the alcohol industry. He has he owns what what 10, 15 breweries that he owns. In fact, when he came over here to Florida, what he did was he went to St. Pete and looked at the microbreweries. Didn't come to any of the MMCCs. What a surprise! Well, you know, on that note, it's interesting how uh, getting elected and seeing uh, you know how your state's industry is thriving uh, can can temper and change someone's attitude. Uh, Hickenlooper, you know, was a reluctant governor, and now all of a sudden he he seems to be pro cannabis. Um, you know, we in Florida have our own uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, alcohol industry entrepreneur and Joe Redner, who is uh, with his company Flora Grown, um, after his successful sale of Cigar City Brewing, is now uh, you know with Flora Grown uh, suing all the way up to the uh, you know Florida State Supreme Court uh, for the right to to you know have a medical cannabis license to end the vertical integration to talk about the the you know unfair process in, in which we just discussed in the first half of the show of how they set up uh, these licenses and so it, you know in the grand scheme of things what we really do need is political change moving forward and the question is how much political change has occurred after these 2020 elections and at the federal level again if the democrats don't take control of the senate uh, i am not optimistic that a republican controlled senate would pass the more act uh, from a democratic control house now in regards to state politics of course we have a new speaker and a new president of the senate and the new speaker chris browls 
uh, is not exactly a big fan of cannabis. In fact, he majorly brought what I call the traveling Cassandras who came to the, the, uh, the House and the Senate last year to talk about how cannabis causes uh, psychosis. Uh, they brought in Dr. Bertha Madras and that gentleman who wrote the book called Tell Your Children that was big in the New York Times. It was almost all uh, things out of context and, and fake news and things of that sort that would uh, promote more prohibition than anything else. And he was promoting that particular aspect. And in the, in the in Florida House, it's very much a top-down uh, soldiers listen to the generals kind of situation. The Senate, not so much there. As uh, Senator Brandis called, we have 40 Somalian warlords. So basically all the senators work on an individual basis, which is actually a good thing because um, Senator Lee, who was my senator, he stepped down this year. And who won the election for that is... Uh, Danny Burgess, who was the head of Veterans Affairs here in the state of Florida, and who is uh, more in, more inclined to be pro-cannabis, and he is now a senator. So that, that gives a lot of clout, and it gives Senator Brandis, who's a libertarian, a, a, a compadre that could possibly move things forward in the Senate as well, even though we don't I mean I have a, a majority. In fact, we actually lost seats both in the Senate and the House this year as far as the Democrats are concerned. Uh, but whether we lost uh, more pro-cannabis people. Uh, we had promoted a number of, of uh, folks, some who won their elections and some who didn't. How'd that turn out, Chris? Well, you know, all in all, the the uh, Democrats who, who ran, you know, it, it was a mixed bag. I mean, there's a lot of criticism uh, among the Florida Democratic Party leadership if they did enough uh, to actually turn out. As you can see, Florida went uh, for President Trump, and it was the turnout in Miami-Dade County that many people attribute uh, to, to the difference maker in that, um, you know, when you look at the state, it, there are essentially islands of Democratic support, and it's in the major cities where the rest of the state in the rural um, areas uh, tend to lead Republican. I mean, Gary, you, you live up there in the in Pasco County. That is no no way, shape, or form a blue county, regardless of how many people from Tampa move out to Wesley Chapel. <laughs> and so that, that continues to be an issue. And, you know, as long as the legislature has uh, various influences, when you touched on earlier, like the GEO group running private prisons, like the, the Florida Medical Association wanting to come in and, and oftentimes overregulate um, how doctors and how patients interact with each other. We're going to continue to see an industry that does not put patients first, but uh, essentially puts industry players who can pay to play with the politicians first. And so citizen-led initiatives and ballot measures have been the way the vast majority of this country has overturned uh, the decisions of legislators who have done, uh, you know, uh, who, who refuse to advance, uh, you know, cannabis and, and uh, eliminate prohibition. And to that note, what we saw is that uh, five states with citizen-led measures uh, passed six different measures. In Arizona, they passed Prop 207, uh, which uh, legalizes adult use of marijuana. Uh, in Montana, they, they passed, you know, uh, Initiative uh, 190, which votes, uh, which voted to legalize uh, the adult use of marijuana. Um, in Mississippi, you know, the Deep South, they finally voted uh, Initiative 65, which creates a medical cannabis program for them. In South Dakota, they also uh, passed Measure 26, which uh, created a medical cannabis program. But South Dakota also uh, passed Amendment A, which uh, voted to create a legalized adult use program. So South Dakota did something historic on election night. The citizens and voters of South Dakota passed medical marijuana and adult use, they, you know, the people in that state, a solid red state 
recognize that medical cannabis is a vital treatment for folks. And at the same time, you know, folks should not be, uh, uh, you know, pushed into a, a, a medical system, but should have the ability, uh, if you're 21 and up, to use it. I look at uh, the adult use medical system as uh, having a prescription and being able to get something over the counter without a prescription uh, in the, its most simplistic form. And I firmly believe that cannabis is something that is no different as far as safety measures as ibuprofen, you know, in Tylenol. And in many cases, it's much safer because if you down a whole bottle of Tylenol PM, that'll be the last nap you ever take. Uh, but if you eat a thousand milligram edible, you're going to wake up and you're going to feel refreshed. And let's just look at the numbers. I mean, Arizona is going to end up being a very tight race as far as the presidential race is concerned. 59.9%. And that, though it's not the 71.3% we had here in Florida, obviously it was a bipartisan push that, that put Arizona's ballot uh, initiative over the top. And then, of course, as far as Montana is concerned, we talked about 57%. That, that one on that. And now New Jersey. New Jersey had a very interesting uh, path here. They actually tried doing it to the legislature and it got killed in the last few moments. And so they decided, well, let's just put it on the table and put it up in the ballot and give it to the voters. And not too amazingly, with just a very, very simple ballot initiative, which is basically just a question saying, do constitution to legalize a controlled form of marijuana called cannabis? The answer was 67% yes, which is far, far more than anybody has won any election in Georgia so far, which just yeah. goes to show you that this is on our side. And here at Suncoast Normal, we say normal is the new normal and that we will be working with the uh, the people to help move through these grassroots initiatives to get things done through the legislature as well as push through ballot initiatives. And now that we've finished with the ballot initiatives, it's time to go back to the legislature and deal with the things we've got. And as far as South Dakota is concerned, 69.2%. I thought that was really, really impressive. And Mississippi, 66.8%. And 73.4% uh, for the 65 as well. Uh, it, and they had two different initiatives. One came from the legislature, one came from the citizenry. And uh, the one that came from the citizens, which did not have a prohibition against flour, won by 73.4%. What a surprise there. But we are moving forward in all those states right now. And we applaud uh, Mississippi. We applaud South Dakota. We applaud Montana. And of course, New Jersey. And we look forward to seeing every single state one by one move forward. Whether we get a uh, two elections of having to get three quarters of a million petitions. And so far in the five, six years that Regulate Florida has been working on this, they, they got just enough petitions to get a Supreme Court review, which, by the way, hasn't finished yet, even though it, it was put through almost a year and a half ago. Uh, but they came nowhere near, obviously, to getting three quarters of a million. That takes a lot of money, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, the fact is, is that when you need to get 60% uh, of the vote in Florida and you can see that over 10 million people are voting in this state, uh, that is definitely a, a, you know, a concern of how do you reach that many people? You know, how do you, how do you have the, the strength, the TV time? How do you have the media power to go up also against the powers that be that don't want this? Uh, the private prison lobbies, uh, Disney, uh, you know, in, in the different uh, corporations in this state uh, that, that look at, at cannabis as a threat to their bottom line. 
And the fact is, is that we've seen, you know, adult use take off and be very successful in states like Nevada. And, and for crying out loud, I mean, Florida compared to Nevada ecologically is a paradise versus a desert. Who would <laughs> rather smoke a joint on a beach, you know, in South Beach or in Clearwater than versus having to drive all the way out to the desert, spend all your money gambling and, and have to, you know, go to the drive through on the reservation to be able to, to get your cannabis at, at two in the morning, you know? Well, that's just it. We still have a law that most across the country right now that basically the only place you can legally uh, partake, even if it's the medicine you so desperately need to survive or be able to work and things of that sort, is in the privacy of your own home, provided you actually own that home. Because if you are in a tenant situation, your landlord can ban you from even going there. So you have to go someplace where it is illegal to partake, just even though you have a medical card, even though you, you are totally able to go ahead and do it. And that is why we're looking forward to the possibility moving forward of cannabis consumption lounges, possibly moving forward. Right now, it's a matter of skirting the laws in some states, but you will see new places that you can go legally and safely. There are a couple of places that, that are working with it right now, and you will see great things coming forward in regards to consumption lounges because we need to be able to have someplace else besides the privacy of the home that we own, and most of it don't own our own homes, uh, to go ahead and be able to utilize the medicine that for so many people is so desperately needed. You know, Gary, you hit that on a, on a really big point there that with cannabis consumption lounges, it's not about necessarily creating a recreational atmosphere to have fun in. But in fact, as you said before, there are people who are in, are, are in you know, exigent circumstances. They can't necessarily cultivate at home. They can't necessarily uh, smoke in, in comfort of their own home because they may be renters. The vast majority of people, uh, you know, in Florida who are who are working class, you know, it's hard enough to afford a one bedroom apartment uh, in this state. What the wages that working class people make, which is why, you know, shout out to everyone who supported Amendment 2 and increasing the minimum wage over the next few years uh, in the state of Florida. Uh, there have been several states that have done that, and in every state where they have increased the minimum wage, they have seen an economic boom. So for those daysayers and those concerned about rising costs and rising prices, uh, the fact is is that when we have raised the minimum wage, the people have raised the minimum wage in those states. They see the cost of living uh, in those states, uh, the quality of living go up and, and, and to help match the cost of living. And I think you know what we're looking at here in Florida, as long as home grow is denied, as long as you know public consumption is denied, uh, you know, people are looking for solutions, you know, intelligent uh, people uh, on our board here at Suncoast Normal are looking for solutions that we're trying to work with. And I believe consumption lounges are definitely uh, one opportunity that we can create in the short term, in the intermediate. Obviously, the goal is legalize it to ensure that every responsible user has safe and reliable access. Uh, to me, that means home grow. To me, that means full decriminalization. It means removing it totally from the Schedule 1 status. Uh, both at the federal level and at the state level. And so, you know, the, the, the biggest concern a lot of people have is the government stepping in and over-regulating this, uh, which it has for obviously uh, over a century now. And so I think uh, that uh, a main concern for, for a lot of folks uh, can be assuaged uh, with these uh, public consumption lounges. And when you hear uh, consumption lounge, I think of Ybor City in the 2000s. I mean, every club was a cannabis consumption lounge back in the good old days, right? <laughs> Not officially, but but yeah, kind of like that, that situation. Tampa, uh, every, uh, you know, uh, pretty much every strip club uh, other than Mons Venus is a cannabis consumption lounge as well. We look forward to uh, a new era and new opportunities. And of course, in 
in here in Sun Coast, normal we have a number of bills we intend on putting through to legislation this this year, and we are going to need your help because obviously one person can't change all the minds and hearts of the legislators. Many of them are on the fence, and a lot of them who, who react to money have to understand that a lot of us don't have money, but we do have heart and we do have stories to tell. And if you have a story to tell that would help us get through some of the legislation we're working on, like employee protection, where if you have a medical card, they can they, they can fire you just for having a medical card, not even having to pass a test positive. Or if you are in an institution, say, for instance, if your grandmother is elderly and had Parkinson's and was put into a hospital and she was told, I'm taking your, your, your grandmother's medicine away for Parkinson's that's working as in cannabis. And we're going to put her on a regimen of drugs that don't work because that's what we decided. That's going to change, too. If, but we, again, we need your help in regards to that. And we also need, in the state of Florida, we need to revive our, our tourist industry, of course, because COVID hit us really hard, which means if you have a medical card, and utilize it while you're here so that grandma can enjoy her, her vacation in Florida and come here on vacation and not go away on probation or not leave at all in some cases. Indeed, we don't need any more grandmothers locked up because they decided to, to bring their, their uh, vape pen to Disney World. <laughs> now, in regards to uh, the, uh, the uh, minimum wage deal, we, we, I first off want to hats off to, uh, to John Morgan, the, the financier who put that through because he does not gain anything financially in regards to moving the, the minimum wage up. And for those people who didn't read it possibly, and who thought that all of a sudden we're going to go straight to $15 an hour, which is a, a what 83% increase from the, the current minimum wage in one year, that's not what it says. It says that it's going to happen over five years at a dollar an hour. So it's going to take time for us to transition to that point in Florida because Florida does not move that fast. But it will benefit people in the long run. And believe it or not, folks who have more money in their pocket tend to spend it. They don't shove it in their mattress forever. And that, for, that means that the economy will benefit from having people being able to not only pay their bills, but have some recreational funds to be able to have, like for instance, a meal in Ebor which would be very nice to have, or an occasional drink as well. I, I got to admit that I, I see that firsthand. First off, I see a lot of tourists. I mean, there's almost one every single day who comes wandering into the CBD store and is asking if they can buy weed. I'm a medical patient in another in another state, and we, have to end up, we end up having to turn them down. Not only that... But giving gi giving them the you know the sad story that they're you know they're not going to be able to go to the MMTC that their their best option is the CBD flower that we have, um, you know which is good but whatever. <laughs> well, and, and a shout out to to my friend Bridget Kerouac over in Stewart uh, over in Stewart or on the on the uh, the East Coast who came here from Maine with her medical card that she'd gotten from uh, from Dustin and uh, she. Uh, was decided to come here because to Florida because we were getting ready to get medical cannabis legalized and she thought all right well great I'll just be able to continue as, as we went on and and while waiting for it to actually happen she decided that she couldn't wait any long because she has my, uh, fibromyalgia and needed that medicine for herself and so she decided to go ahead and buy some hydroponic supplies and what a surprise the police fo uh, followed her home from the hydroponic store this 
cute lady in, in, in her 40s approximately. And, and for no reason, they followed her home and they claimed that they smelled something in her garage, which was at that point in time, what, 10 seedlings that were approximately three inches tall. Get new, here's big news. You don't smell anything from a, a three inch seedling. Uh, but that said, they arrested her. And it, the trial took almost a year. Uh, our friend uh, Mike Minari went ahead and, and uh, uh, defended her in court, and they decided to drop the charges, but that she had to stop uh, cultivating at home, period. So it was, a, it was a big boon when we actually had medical cannabis, but the damage at that point in time to her life was already done. You guys, did I ever tell you guys that the, the cops actually came to my house like a year ago? And uh, like there was a variance in my power. That was that's what they were saying. And that they 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 wanted to check out if I had a grow operation in there. And quite honestly, I think it, there really wasn't a. It's not like I paid more in my power bill that month, you know. <laughs> and, and quite you know, normal used to be registered at my house. So I think that was the actual situation there. Like there's this marijuana nonprofit in a private you know, dwelling, like, you know, we have to check this out. What excuse can we give? Well, the, the, the additional power usage is what, how they oftentimes catch people who are doing home grows because of the amount of electricity it causes, it, it costs to go ahead and operate the lights and the air conditioning that, and things of that, that sort. Honestly, from, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, like that makes no sense to me. How is the power company going to go and call the cops on somebody because all of a sudden they're spending more money on power? Like, yeah. I do not understand that. Or your next door neighbor has been is spending more money. That's another way that it happens sometimes. You know, the electric companies in Colorado uh, clearly don't care. I mean, I, I've seen Colorado electric bills as high as 1200 a month for folks operating their own grows. And I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, you said it right, Carlos, the electric company wants those dollars. They want that money. Um, I think the problem that, that you encountered was corruption, uh, police corruption in particular. The Tampa Police Department, uh, among its vice squad, among its DUI unit, is notorious uh, for officers that, that are corrupt, um, that have actually killed people, you know, and, and gotten away with it. And, and it, 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 it harkens back to uh, members of the DUI squad back in 2014 pulling over uh, community activist Arthur Green, who was middle of a cardiac uh, arrest incident and instead they thought he was swerving for a DUI rather than providing proper medical assistance you know they, they throw someone on the ground they handcuff him and very similar to you know what happened with George Floyd the, the police ended up uh, taking this man's life and to me that in itself uh, reeks of, of corruption that needs to be rooted out and sadly the current mayor of Tampa who's the former police chief uh, believes that she doesn't have any bad cops under her watch and so that's why I say elections have consequences. I mean, what, what was the situation with her, the biking while black? Like, you know, uh, apparently when she was, you know, head of the police here, like there were more black people that were pulled over on their bicycles. And she like justified that somehow. I don't know. Nine out of 10 people who received bicycle citations were black. And in particular, I think a vast majority of them were black men. So if you take how does 6% of the city's population account for 90% of its citations, uh, that is definitely something that, that it reeks of institutional and systemic racism. Well, the, sounds like I, racism to me. 
I guess what we have to talk about next is, is what are the next steps? Well, here in the state of Florida, the first thing that happens after the election, usually after everything is certified, is we have what is called the uh, legislative delegations that happen in every single county in the state. And this is where citizens come up and they talk to the legislators that work for that particular area and tell them about what legislation is needed. As, and of course, this, the, the local folks are asking for some money for their individual projects and things of that sort. But this is your chance as a citizen to come out and, and tell legislators what your ideas are for legislation moving forward and in many cases this is the chance for legislators to find out what the citizens want so they can start working on deciding what bills they want to move forward and to that effect next week uh we'd like to see one of those new elected officials come up on this show and what they think can happen in next week's legislation so if you are a legislator who is recently elected or previously elected and wants to discuss that topic we want you on the show and we can get you on this week or next week that would be fantastic please contact us at uh, through the florida normal uh suncoast normal page and we can work on on possibly getting you on here and, and having your say now in regards to the folks who have been very nice in regards to talking to us today on i see the feed here uh, Ms. vandiford and mr hefner we apologize for not having as much time to go ahead and go over some of the concerns you have because this was mostly a, a guest day but we do want to hear from you guys and have a q a with our loyal subjects here so to speak who are who are a part of our community and we want you to be a part of our community and to that effect here comes the commercial guys of course say uh, suncoast normal is a membership driven organization and the membership itself is not expensive but it oh my gosh the rewards you can get besides just this really neat pin over here on this side i'm looking at backwards the, the, the gold cannabis leaf it shows that you are a proud member of of normal and in particular suncoast normal and we want to see you in tallahassee telling your stories helping move this legislation and being part of the solution so uh, last week we talked about, uh, we had a, a video of uh, The Emperor Has No Clothes uh, by Jack Hare, which, which is offered to anybody who can join and bring in three other members with you. That video, which is very hard to find, and which has Jack Hare talking in his own words about the situation, and along with uh, uh, Johnny Lepp, who, who is, uh, is having his own issues in California right now, but is staying strong, who, who was also uh, a, a part of the system, so to speak, that... that, that that he had to deal with we uh, we want you part we we want you here working with us we want you here coming to, to tallahassee when i go to, to tallahassee i want to see the entire front row full of suncoast normal members who want to be stand up and be counted even if you don't want to speak just be there and be part of the solution we're looking forward to it mm -hmm. and you know honestly i go to a lot of these i tend not to speak at them but you know you guys appreciate the moral support, right? You know? Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. It, it always feels good to get up in front of a room of politicians and know you have 50 people having your back. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And Carlos also has some uh, Delta 8 flower, which we are also doing as a giveaway oh, yeah. for our new subscribers, correct? I, I I forgot about that. The you know uh, This is why you need Gary, lion's mane. Gary. <laughs> Gary here is providing the history and the the information about hemp and i'm just gonna throw some hemp flower in there uh specifically 50 50 delta 8 and cbd hemp flower it's set, set the strain is sour cherry and it's going to be a quarter for uh what was there the qualifications there gary um, it's like you joining you get like how many people to join yeah you join you bring three other people with you 
at, at twenty five dollars each for the membership, which is which is very small compared to what you will achieve and what we will achieve with it. Mm. We don't. We, we don't do this for money. Uh, if we did, I wouldn't be wearing clothes from Salvation Army. Mm. That said, we are dedicated to you, the cannabis community, who, who needs this medicine for your livelihood, for your life, for your love. And we will support you if you will support us. That is what it comes down to. So go to our website, suncoastnormal.org. That's N-O-R-M-L. You can also follow us on social media at Suncoast Normal. That's on Facebook. That's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. That's on YouTube. A bunch of different stuff. So please go go to the website. Follow us on social media. Just show up to an event. Support us. You know we are here for you guys. We don't get paid. We're volunteers. We're taking the time out of our day to make some change happen. And, you know, we hope you join us. Uh, you know, it's the only way that change is actually going to happen is we band together. So love you guys. And you know, Sally, uh, coming up next, para los nuestros amigos latinx. Whoa. La rotación en español coming up. I didn't understand what she said at all, but that that is because even though you are Cuban, which I'm not going to hold hold the race I, against I you at this point in time. Cuban. You're, you're semi-Cuban. <laughs> so, what did you say? The the Spanish version of the you're, rotation. You're, 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 you're kind of like a press sandwich when they put chicken in it instead of the pork. It's just, <laughs> I, I'm like the Cuban sandwich, but they white bread and possibly Beyond Burger instead of the pork. I would take this. <laughs> Right. So, you know, it's a little bit different with me when one of, only one of mine is Cuban. So, <laughs> so, so, Both what, of them are Cuban, so yeah. what is, what is a vegan Cuban? A vegan Cuban. It tastes terrible. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, it's different. Like every time it's seriously different every time. It's just a bunch of veggies and they try to make it taste like a Cuban sandwich. And I think they're all delicious. But Well, to all you guys yeah, who have a plant-based life, and, and this is a great plant we're talking about here, not just all your food. Mm-hmm. We thank you for being on the rotation this year, this, this week. Next week, we hope to have some great guests on there. Legislators, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you're planning on doing, and we want to plan help you, to help you do it. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Here comes Thanks. the outro. y'all. This has been The Rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member, because that is how you become part of the change. You can find The Rotation podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. But you can always join us in the rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National, all by joining Suncoast Normal. That website again is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media at Suncoast Normal. Uh, Find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary, and good night.
good night.